0: All right, y'all. Just got off with Joe Stokowski. Um, of course, it's another great episode with a phenomenal coach. We got to talk about everything, uh, strength conditioning-wise. Um, his journey from um, being at ISU and being the head football coach at um, in Illinois, and making that transition from Illinois to Georgia. Um, him running his first strength and conditioning program, how he kind of got backdoored into the profession, um, learning how to be, how the balancing between being an English teacher and being a strength and conditioning coach, um, and working with some of that sport performance side of things as well. Um, went down kind of a psychological rabbit hole with some of the things that we were talking about, um, what speed training was. Um, it was a great episode. I really do appreciate Joe being on, and um, just enjoy this episode with Joe Szkowski.
1: Uh, couple of
0: things before we get going off of here. I uh, definitely want to talk about our new sponsor, which is the Working Dog Coffee. Okay, this is from Brennan Sweeney down in uh, North Carolina. Uh, has a coffee has a coffee um, company down there, and um, something about that company is is that you know there's so many people I know that miserly consume coffee through disturbing products on the market, and the solution we have is offering in an organic coffee that doesn't have any of the nasty side effects as a poorly regulated energy drink. The product, the only products you'll need on the label are 100% organic coffee with organic flavoring. Our two flavors, which is the mouth and the burner, are a great mix of a high caffeine product and a classic Com- Colombian favorite blend for coffee drinkers. You can use the code CHAT for 15% off And every bag you buy will help support working dogs charities around the country. Again, that is code CHAS for the coffee. Now, also, we have to talk about the other sponsor of this podcast. What's the other sponsor for this podcast? You can believe it, it is Team Builder. So let's talk about Team Builder. Team Builder is the software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with an elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. TeamBuilder is full of tools that coaches need, like multiple max training methods, 16-plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with team-builders and house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code conjugate to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. Enjoy this episode of the Conjugate Chats. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Um, it is currently Friday, December 22nd, and we're getting closer to that Christmas time, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but it's probably in the time of this releasing, it's probably going to be like February or March. I, I haven't even decided yet by this point. But um, I'm very excited to have on Joe Stokowski of Grayson High School down in Georgia. Joe, uh, welcome to the Conjugate Chats, man.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, John Mark.
0: Absolutely, man. So let's start with kind of your backstory or uh, the origins of you. So um, there's something we both have in common. We're both well. I'm not from "quote unquote" the 309, but uh, I know that you are. And so I lived in Illinois, Central Illinois uh, specifically, for about eight years. And I remember just a brief passing at NACON. Kind of talked about that a little bit. I I believe, if not on social media, maybe. Um, But Talk about talk to us about, like, being in Illinois and then going all the way to Georgia for uh, strength and conditioning slash football.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I kind of have a strange path to where I'm at. Uh, I was not very good at football myself. Uh, so when I got into college, I got into officiating. Uh, and this is where I crossed paths with where you went to high school. Um, so... I used to always get assigned to the Metamora underclass games for a very, uh, a reason that might make you laugh. Um, So those of you that may not know, Coach Raspberry's high school is a football dynasty and they used to blow people out in underclass games. So the reason they always hired me to do those games is they wanted a back judge. who didn't get beat by 20 yards to the end zone. And so uh, I did plenty of the Metamora Redbirds uh, underclass games. That would have been, uh shoot, two thousand fall of two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and two thousand ten. Um then I was very fortunate. Uh my last year at Illinois State, um, I was asked to kind of help out around the football program. A good friend of mine, uh, Jake Schoonover, um, who is now the special teams coordinator at Ole Miss. Uh, he asked me to come and help out a little bit. Um, long story short, the next year I got hired on is um it, it, it was an intern position, but very similar to a GA position. Um, where I had, I, they paid me $800 a month, um, to work, shoot, uh, 80 hours a week. And, uh, I loved every minute of it. Uh, so I did that the fall of 12, um, fall of 13, 14. I was at Farmington Central High School, uh, about 20 minutes west of Peoria. Um, and then, or no, I was there for three, three seasons through 16, uh, 17, 18. I was the head coach at Villa Grove High School and, uh, about, uh, 20 minutes south of Champaign, Illinois. Uh, it was a co-op between them and Heritage High School. And um, I guess the reason I'm probably talking to you today was that first offseason I had as a head coach. Um, three things that happened that offseason. Uh, one was I was thrust into the role of having to run a strength and conditioning program. And uh, my now brother-in-law turned me on to 531, um, which is something that I've used a ton. Um, so that was the first thing. The second thing was I crossed paths with Chris Corfist. Um, it was taught RPR and at that, so I learned, yeah, I learned RPR, uh, in person from Chris Corfist at, uh, Decatur St. Teresa high school. And they were uh, advertising that the following weekend or two weeks following that was a track football consortium, which was, I think it was like TFC five or six at the time. And so two weeks after that, I, I, um, met tony holler for the first time and uh well that's actually not totally true i knew tony but tony was the guy who had the giant camera at the state track meet every year um i didn't know him as this guy with this methodology and all this so um i i those three things jim Wendler, chris Corfist, and tony holler um really shaped the way i thought about uh, training and and training for football um so i was there at villa grove for two years um Took a chance, got a job in Georgia, uh, went down there. Um, I was at Pepperell High School for three seasons. Um, I think that was would speed like 18, 19, 20. Um, and I kind of lucked into the track coaching position. Um, so I bought a free lap timing system. I got really into timing 40s and uh, using a lot of those ideas that I had kind of picked up along the way. Um, I parlayed that into my first uh, strength role, which was at uh, Jackson High School in um middle georgia or just like between middle georgia and and south of atlanta um uh this past off season our head coach uh retired from coaching he went into administration so i kind of saw that as an opportunity to kind of test the market and uh i landed at grayson high school uh which is um, about um, about 30 40 miles east of atlanta um on the far uh like suburban outskirts of Gwinnett county um and if you know anything about Grayson, I'm not taking any credit for any of the success they've had before I got there. Um, it's one of the uh, premier um, places for high school sports and high school football in the country. So um, my, my day job is actually uh, probably unique to the people listening to this podcast. Uh, I teach English half the day and then the other half of the day I get to spend with the football team where they gave me a million dollar title, which uh, gets me no pay, which is director of sports science. Um, So, yeah, I've been there since uh, the end of spring ball this year, so I guess it's been about seven or eight months that I've been there. Awesome,
0: Joe. Uh, One, yeah, I I didn't know that you uh, ref the the freshman football games. That was, I think you stopped the year that I went to being a freshman, so never got to officiate one of our games, but he's very true. Uh, Metamore Township High School has a deep legacy in football, and I think they won state like three or four times, um, but yeah, it is a is a very unique town and a very unique high school. Um, you know, I was used to down south, um, like the, the way things were ran here, and then I moved up north. And like even the academics, like every everyone was a year ahead up in Illinois. So like you, I didn't learn the periodic table till my eighth grade year, and all like my classmates that were with me when I moved. Um, their seventh grade year, they learned everything like that. So I never, so I was literally a year behind a- everyone else, and it was crazy. And even football wise, it was the same way because the way that they trained was a lot different than how we trained in Tennessee. Because we trained in Tennessee of up downs and you are running and doing whatnot, and then what we trained for football north was it was more drills, it was technique, it was, um, it was a lot different. So even no, you know, no one will know now. Um, you know I've grown to appreciate that place a little bit more but you know you went from a college ISU right um, what what did you do specifically at
1: ISU yeah so my role um, I worked kind of and um, I kind of did a little bit of everything but uh, I guess my main job was breaking down film and preparing the offensive scout team uh, for the week against our defense. So I worked for the defensive coaching staff, um, but I worked with those young young guys to make sure that the offense looked as much like what we were going to be seeing on Saturday, um, as it could. Um, so really, it was it, it was interesting. Uh, you were always in that role, thinking um, ahead. So when the game actually came on Saturday, you kind of had to go back and kind of review. Uh, your notes, because you're already five days ahead of the team. Because, uh, you know, when you get in on Sunday, the head coach wants uh, all the data so he can start building his cut-ups and he can start doing his work. So if you don't work ahead in that role, um, you you fall behind very, very quickly. Uh, so, yeah, so that was um, – I did that. I helped out with, um, you know, just doing a lot of grunt work in summer camps and, um, you know, picking guys up from the airport for visits, things like that. Um, but yeah, so I, and, and one thing that was very, very cool. Now looking back on it is the guys who I worked for, you know, you think you work for good people, but then to go see them have tremendous success. Like I, I mentioned coach Schoonover earlier at Ole Miss, um, uh, Spence Nowinski, who I worked, um, I was kind of his right-hand man. He's now the defensive coordinator at, um, Ohio university. They just won uh back-to-back 10 win seasons for the first time ever. Um, uh, George Barnett who is uh, the O-line coach at Iowa, um, just getting to see those guys. And um, he, I kind of anticipated they were going to be great, but getting to see them um, build that, you know, um, perfect their, their coaching at, at that level and, and now to get to see them uh, thrive at, the, or at a higher level is, is something that's really cool to be a part of.
0: Yeah, man. And one thing I know for sure, because I've coached football the last about five years. Uh this is actually my first year of not coaching football and breaking down film is something that you really gotta love to do. Uh otherwise it becomes another job. And I, I coach offensive line, defensive line, I've done linebackers, I've done pretty much anything and all except for skills. Uh even done running backs for a little bit. But um breaking down film is something that you really, really gotta love because you're gonna spend a lot of time in front of that screen. And I think a lot of people, strength wise or even sport coach wise, kind of don't understand like we spend a lot of time in front of a screen we spend a lot of time on computer just programming understanding something breaking down film etc so uh yeah nice job there so let's go to your first year as a head football coach at Farmington you said
1: uh at Villa Grove I was at Farmington uh, for three seasons before I got to Villa Grove yeah I worked under uh Toby Vallis there and um if you know anything about central Illinois football, Toby has um, had a tremendous legacy there at Farmington. And um, before that he was at Knoxville and And he's a guy, if you're interested in uh, running spread offense uh, at a small school and how to build those, cause it's not like he's got, you know, he's they're literally the Farmington farmers, that's their mascot. Um, so he has to really develop those kids. And um, he's, he's, you know, he's just one of those diamond in the rough coaches who, who not many people know about as, I uh, just done a phenomenal job there. So learning under him, uh, that was how I was able to parlay that into the, the head coaching job at Philo
0: So at Philgrove, you ran your first off-season program. So how, how did you navigate that? Because I remember going in to Northside, my first coaching job, where I got to somewhat manage the weight room. And I thought I had all the answers, had a kinesiology degree, and I walked in and basically knew nothing and had to learn from experience so what how did you navigate your first off season
1: well let me first say i had a secret weapon going into it um my wife um has all the degrees i don't have she has all the certifications that i don't have she herself um i think it's it's lapsed at this point but but had her cscs and So having her as somebody to bounce ideas off of was was very beneficial to me. She worked in the weight room um, at Montana State University and and worked with youth athletes for, um, you know, a good part of the last decade. So uh, having her as kind of a backdrop to kind of bounce ideas off of was really, really helpful. Um, But really uh, seeing uh, I read five, three, one for football, um, which I think you can dig around on the Internet. You can find it for free, uh, a PDF version of it. but I knew how to coach the lifts. I knew kind of what I wanted it to look like, um, but it was more just the the prescription it, well, what does that need to look like? Um, and five three one was an excellent thing for us specifically because uh, we had a bunch of kids that were playing three sports, some of them four sports. Uh, when I say it was a small school, it was um you know one hundred and eighty students. and so uh we wanted something that we could get done in about excuse me, uh 30 minutes to 45 minutes. And um 531 offered us, you know, we do a quick warm-up, we'd hit our uh our main lift of the day, have a couple of auxiliaries, we do a um a follow up at the end and then and then we could get all that done in about 45 minutes. Um so that was really beneficial. Um and I think the, one of the really nice things about five three one as well is it you never max, but you always max. And if you if you run five through one before, you you know what I'm saying with that. So there's never this um, big like max day, max day that you think of. Uh, but you're always trying to push that um, that AMRAP at the end of of the, the last main lift, and uh, it lets kids see progression. It lets them really be a part of. Um, it makes them feel like they're a part of their programming, right? Because the better they do. Um, the more you know the the heavier it's going to get for them um it, it it it's not just okay, well, everybody's doing this, and then after three weeks we're gonna add five pounds it's uh we did it where you know if a kid his goal if, if his goal reps were like three, but he hit seven, we would increase his like perceived max by ten pounds um and it was kind of a it turned into kind of a game for him um and so that was something that i didn't. Uh, I didn't go in thinking, hey, this is going to be a really cool part of this, but that ended up being what it was. and um, To me, that was that was incredibly beneficial um, to get buy in from our athletes.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, principles stay the same, but methods always kind of have a different avenue about what how do you really want to approach training? Right. So five, three, one. I mean, it's a great system and implemented it right. Like, obviously, you probably did. Um, you know, it allows kids to see the progress, allows them to see how much stronger they're actually getting without, you know, having the big rah-rah max day. Now, if anyone does that, you know, to each their own, you know, I'm not going to sit here and dictate what you're supposed to do and not do in a program. But at the same time, you know, um, you know, you're there directing your own weight room and, um, if that fits for your culture and everything like that, you know, go for it, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. whatever I say today uh, I might say some things that people disagree with or whatever it might be. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't squash anybody's ideas. As long as you're doing your best to keep your kids healthy and safe, um, you know, you're doing right in this, you're doing right in this profession. So um, I'll say this too. The other part of it is we didn't have the ability to really um, create like a um, can, I don't know, like a congealed culture in our weight room there. Um, because we were uh we were one sports pro- program over two different schools. Um, if you've ever been part of a co-op situation, that's that's always an interesting dynamic. Um, so we had um, uh, you know, in the summer we had three different times that we lifted. Uh during the year we lifted before school and after school. Kids just picked when they wanted to come. Um, because trying to navigate all the different sports schedules, uh, for me, it was like it was better for me to be flexible. Uh that was gonna get better buy-in. Um, and so it was nice. Like a kid could kind of, if he missed a week or whatever it is, he kind of hop back in and, and it wasn't like uh, the, the process had moved on without him. Um, it also too, it, we didn't have to introduce a ton of new uh, exercises because we knew the time that we were going to have with our athletes was limited. We weren't lifting during the school day. Everything was uh, either before school or after school. Um, so when you talk about like constraints, uh, our, our biggest constraint there was uh, like logistics and time. Um, and so I think for, for most of us, I think that that shapes what we can and can't do with our athletes. Um, so for me at that time with those kids and that environment and those logistics, it was, it was a really good thing for us.
0: Awesome job coach. Now let's, let's talk about the transition from Illinois to Georgia, because that's a, that's a pretty long ways away. Uh, what pushed you to move to Georgia?
1: Um, I was driving to work one day in an ice storm on I-57 and got rear-ended by a semi truck. Um, saw my life, life flash before me. Uh, nothing, <laughs> nothing bad happened to me physically. I had a sore neck, and my Honda was no more. But um, I, my thought was just, if I can, you know, I really enjoy coaching football. It's what I want to do. Um, if I can do it in a warmer weather state with a little bit better pay, um, why not take a chance with that? And so what I did is I printed off the list of all the coaches in Georgia high school football that made over six figures and whenever they would post a job on football scoop, I would apply for it. Uh, not because I was chasing money as much as I was chasing an environment where I knew that football was a priority. And, uh, I know that throwing money at something doesn't always make it a priority, but, um, we also know that it, it, it's, it's a big part of, um, it's a big part of the profession, the culture of football now is, is you see people that will outspend on resources. And a lot of times those places are having more success than the places that um, pinch pennies. So um, no. So I applied, I interviewed a couple different places. Um, really. I, I'm. I, I love listening to your podcast and I know you guys talk a ton about um, people having, I have all these degrees. I have these certifications, but I don't have the teaching element. Right. I And so. Um, Getting that is the, the, the piece of the puzzle that is the hardest part for a lot of people. I was the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Um, I was teaching English. Like that was my foot in the door is uh, a lot of places. They don't have a PE opening or they don't have a SPED opening. But, you know, every school probably has an English opening um, if it's a big enough school because every kid has to take English. Um, so that has been kind of my my way into some jobs that I probably wouldn't have gotten just on my credentials alone. Um, I was able to get those jobs because um like I said, I don't think there's I'm in a I'm in a small minority of of English teaching football coaches. Yeah,
0: I, I totally relate to that, man. I, I I teach biology. That that's part of my day. And then I do strength either after school or during my planning period. And so, you know, I, I totally relate to that because I really love doing the strength stuff. I do. I love the weight room, I love our kids, I love what I do, but there's not enough PE spots to go around because those are the, pretty much the first jobs that ever get snatched up. Um, and, and sometimes those jobs are reserved for head football coaches, head basketball coaches, head baseball coaches. Um, so I kind of knew that walking in, but, you know, kind of like you have this, I guess, endorsement, you want to call it a technical term for a teaching license, have an endorsement in English or endorsement in biology. And I knew that English, science, specifically biology, math, all are tested subjects. So you can get a job pretty easily in any of those tested subjects because not a whole lot of people teach those.
1: No, absolutely. And then um, I would say like one thing that I thought was going to be difficult that ended up not being difficult at all was getting my license transferred over. Um, you're always told it's, it's simple. And I was like, surely there's going to be a hang up on this. And. There wasn't. Um, What was really nice in Georgia is the district that I worked for actually did all the work for me. Um, And a lot of a lot of districts in Georgia, the district views it as their burden to make sure that your teacher is certified. Where in Illinois, it was very much on your own. So in Georgia, your professional development opportunities are done um, through the school. That's not to say that you can't go find other opportunities elsewhere, but. You know, in Georgia, it was just I had to go sign a couple of papers, make sure the right stuff got sent to the right people. I had to get, uh, you know, make sure that all my license, licensure information was sent to the correct places. Uh, But it just got rubber stamped and done. And then actually, when I was in Georgia, I was able to take the, I think, praxis is the term um, for for PE. And um, I don't want to get in trouble with what I'm about to say, but that test not in no way, shape or form uh, should qualify somebody to run a weight room. you know, you know enough about uh, line dancing and sexually transmitted diseases. And in Georgia, you too can run a weight room. So, uh, no, I, but that I, that ability to get those certifications, obviously, it's going to be much more difficult to get a science certification or a, a high level math certification. Um, but that ability to transfer that English, transfer the English over and to get uh, PE certified in Georgia was something that um, I, I thought was was fairly simple.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you about the P.E. praxis. Just recently have taken the endorsement for Tennessee. And, I mean, there was stuff about, like, a few exercise physiology stuff, a few exercise science stuff, but it's just, like, the rules of the game, uh, how to manage a classroom, just stuff like that. And I'm sitting there, like, just because someone has a P.E. endorsement does not mean they can run a weight room or run a sports performance program at all. Um, because there's just so many layers behind what we do as with sports performance. Um, you know, um, and there's tons of planning that goes into it. You know, there's a whole thought process. I hope there's a whole thought process into what we do. And, um, I I don't know. I I agree with you that the P process is just not enough.
1: Yeah. and, And, um, I think in that regard, it's it's definitely on the, the teacher being hired to do the job, make sure they do the best that they can for their athletes in terms of safety and um, best practices. And I would also say that it's it's on the people hiring them. And a lot of times the person hiring them, uh, you know, officially the person hiring them is the principal, the school district, right? But the person bringing them in is the the head football coach. Um, and, you know, that person having a, just a, a general knowledge or a base knowledge of, of, what it looks like when it's done correctly, um, I think are all things that are um, unofficial uh, safeguards that, that are in place at, at places that know what they're doing and, and need to be in place at places that are maybe lagging behind in that area. Agreed there. Uh, let's talk about your role,
0: uh, Director of Sports Science at Grayson. So what do you, what do, you do there? I, I guess it's the best term I could use is what do you do as a sports science or a director of sports science?
1: Sure. Um, and it is a, it is a fancy title, but really what it is, um, I assist our strength coach. Uh, his name is Aaron Hill uh, and he is absolutely phenomenal. But when you talk about the guy who is, um, designing our workouts, the guy who is, um, making sure everything runs smoothly in our weight room, um, that's his job. My job is, in a way, to be uh, his assistant, uh, but to also be, I guess the best term would be liaison um, between him and the players. Uh, For instance, uh, a kid is struggling squatting, right? I may pull that kid out, bring him over to a milk crate, and we just work on how the feet should be balanced, right? Um, Or, hey, your knee's tracking forward too much in the early descent on a squat, um, things like that. I can help the athletes with, I'm also doing, um, uh, a load of data tracking, Right. And so we have, you know, given the time of the year, uh, about 170 to 190 players on our football program. Um, yeah, it's, and it, you got to understand too, the area that we're in, our school is 3,500 students. Um, you know, we have 70, uh, we had 78 different kids that I got um, sprint times for this summer that were freshmen. Um, so just the sheer amount of kids that we have, um, I would say that a lot of what I'm doing is, is processing and um, creating, I And mean, when you have that many kids, right? The head coach, uh, he's trying to build relationships with every kid in the program, but there's like little things in the background that when my head coach is curious about something, I want to be able to provide him with some information um, that can either spark his curiosity or answer his question. Um, And so I've been talking a lot lately about some of the odd things that we track. Um, You know, wingspan is a common thing, but we've done uh, foot size tracking. Um, We do birthday tracking, which I think is a huge thing because so many kids nowadays are, um, especially kids with summer birthdays, they're being held back a year uh, for the benefit of a lot of times for the benefit of their athletic advancement. Um, And so sometimes we have, uh, well, let me give you an example. We have a kid on our team who um, he moved from Canada. And I believe his situation, uh, if I understand it right, was when you come from another country, they test you to see where you go. And a lot of times when kids come from foreign countries, they're either way ahead or way behind. he was way ahead, so he's actually – um, he's a rising junior, right? So he was a sophomore this football season, but his age puts him in, like, right in the middle of our freshman. So he's a kid. Oh, well, is he undersized? Yeah, he might be undersized, but he's also underage for his class, right? So do we have – with that kid, we have a lot more growth potential because he has, like, 12 more months to grow. The only problem with that is that this kid's clock is going to run out 12 months earlier than a lot of these other kids. Um, so like we have two kids that are uh, one is going to be a rising junior. One's going to be a rising senior. Um, and, you know, they're, they're going to be very highly recruited kids. And uh, but if you you know look under the hood, the junior is actually two days older than the senior. Um, and so just just looking at things like that, we were looking uh, like cross references, or like we were trying to cross-reference uh, shoe size and wingspan. And we were pulling out that like a lot of our freshmen, if, if they're in the right quadrant, right, big feet, long wingspan, uh, their chance of being tall is much greater. Um, so when we looked at our tallest players in the program, and I'm, I'm, I'm spitballing here on numbers. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it was like eight of our top 20 tallest kids were rising sophomores, right? Or played freshman football this year. But when we looked at that metric, it was like 13 of our top. So what do we know? Those kids are, um, I always joke with our kids. Well, you're either going to grow or you're going to turn into a cartoon character, right? With funny long arms and giant feet. But no, the better chance is the kid's going to grow and um, that can help us. You know, if we if we look at a kid and we know that, hey, we know what his parents look like. We know how old he is. We know some of these metrics. He's going to grow. Does it let us get maybe a six-month or a 12-month head start on moving that kid to a position that he will eventually play because of his size? Um, and just little things like that. I, I, I try to do my best to help our coach, um, our head coach, and all of our assistant coaches um, maybe have added information so that we can make the best decisions possible for our athletes. Um, another part of it too, is, um, you know, we had six kids sign on early signing day. We have about another, um, we probably have another seven or eight kids that'll sign for some sort of money, whether it be FCS or D2 and and a handful of other kids that are going to go and play D3 football. Um, the amount of coaches that we have come through our office is, is you know, insane. Um, so being able to give them, uh, up-to-date data on our kids and, um, not just paint a picture for who the kid is, but who the kid who the kid could be um, in their recruitment um, is something that I, I, I hope that the colleges that come through our place um, appreciate the work that we put in we put into it. Um, so yeah, that's that's like I said, I do I do a little bit of all that. Um, I'm also the special teams coordinator. So, so those when you wrap all that into one, that's that's what my my duties are as as a coach there.
0: Gotcha, man. Man, that that's an interesting way of assessing your players and understanding their biological clock and their biological age and compared to their training age and everything like that. That that's pretty cool. Um, was it you that tweeted out a couple of days ago that said if your shoe size is bigger than your age, then you're probably not or you're probably not stopped growing or you're probably still growing or something like
1: that. Yeah, and it's like a very small group of our kids, but all five kids that registered with that were all freshmen. So what they were is their kids and like they had like 15 and a half or size 16 shoe, but they're only 14 and a half years old. Um it's very hard to have a larger shoe size than you are years old once you get to high school, but those who do are likely going to keep growing. Um and we're just very very blessed with some um some kids that are going to have a massive growth potential and going to have a chance to be very, very uh, talented, special football players. So, uh, but just being able to kind of know that before it happens is, is I think uh, to our advantage um, as coaches and, and um, you know, people in their lives trying to guide them in the best direction for them to be successful. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That reminds me of a kid that we have here at Dyer County. Uh, Freshman 14 year old has a size 17 and a half size, eighteen shoe, and or cleat or whatever. um And I mean, I was just on the sideline, a freshman game, just you know, just talking to players, whatever. I just kind of noticed the corner of my eye. I said, "Man, what what size shoe you got?" He goes, "I got seventeen, and my toes are starting to curl on <laughs> on the tip. So I need size eighteen shoes." I was like, "Holy crap, dude!" He's like, "You're you're probably he's already like six so he's probably going to be like 6'5", 6'6".
1: He's going to be a, a pretty pretty tall kid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think a um, kid like, shoes that big, he's going to probably have the special order on here pretty soon.
0: I think he had the special order, the 17 one. Uh, I'm pretty sure, he,
1: yeah, anything past that,
0: he's going to have the special order. So, uh, yeah, craziness. That reminded me of that. Um. Kind of move along here, I talked to Tucker C a lot, and Tucker always kind of refers to you as a speed guy. So, where did you get this interest in speed? And I know I've seen your charts and how it's color coded and it looks nice and everything like that, man. So, where did this, like, almost this niche, this niche for, for speed come from?
1: Uh, sure. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, I mentioned that I crossed paths with uh, Chris Corfis and Tony Holler, and um, I definitely carry their ideas with me. Um, You know, there are definitely voices that I hear whenever I try to think about um, the training that we're trying to do with our athletes. But really simply, it it happened like this. So I get the job at Pepperell High School. The guy who was the track coach uh, left to take a job in another school. So I walked into the track job, bought the free lap system, and we were timing segmented 40s. So I had like a start pad and three cones. So we were trying to do 40s like they do with the NFL combine, right? With a 10 split, a 20 split and a 40 split. Um, and so what I, I had this data, right? But I didn't have any way to like cross-reference it. And so I went and I did a deep dive into um, NFL combine data of athletes that ran in indianapolis that were drafted um and were timed using the zybek timing system right because you know location timing all that is is important stuff to know when you're looking at variables um and i just kept adding and adding and adding people into this this database and it ended up being um about a thousand athletes and um i created um like a best thing I, it's like a a projection um simply put it's like uh so if i can run this fast through 20 yards right it projects out that i likely run this fast through 40 um and so there was um there was something put out by cameron Jones um many years ago uh when he was uh i think it was even before he was working at indiana uh where he showed like through the segments of the 40, these, uh, these are the best corrective exercises for people who struggle in these areas, right? So um, simply put, the, the earlier it is uh, in the sprint, it's going to be more um, strength-based, right? And towards the end of the sprint, 30 to 40 is going to be more speed-based. Um, but what we were doing is we were taking the segmented 40s of our kids on our track team at Pepperell High School, We were cross-referencing it with split times from people in the combine. And obviously our kids are not as big or as fast as the people at the NFL, right? That's not lost on me. But just, we were trying to find, okay, so if this kid runs um, 2.7 through 20, right? And then he runs like 2.0 from 20 to 40, is he better on the front end or the back end? And if he's better on the front end, Let's work on his top-end mechanics. Let's let's try to fill those buckets. If he's better, if it's the flip side, let's just try to address those needs. Um, and I thought of it very much like we we're asked to think about things uh, in the classroom. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, in teaching English, um, a lot of different schools I was at, they had us do map testing. And through the map testing, it it, it doesn't just give you a score for the kid, but it also tells you, are they... Um, proficient or um, in vocabulary, fluency, um, informational text versus fictional text, whatever it might be. Um, I thought about it the same way, is they're going to prescribe, let's do these things to improve those skills. I thought, let's do the same thing with our our linear speed development. And so that's where that kind of came to be and um i kind of caught two breaks on it one was simply faster asked me to write an article about the data that i had um in the chart that i put out so that was um you know to get to, to that audience of, of simply faster was was a big um, gift to me and the other thing was um during covid uh, i know we were all on zoom calls uh, every day uh, just trying to find some learn something and have some human interaction um tony villani who uh runs xpe sports down in fort lauderdale who year in and year out trains uh, the fastest kids at the combine um he was using my data that i put out to help um program their guys uh down at xpe sports and so um, i would tell anybody who would listen like hey smart people are using my information <laughs> uh which is something that, that like i said it was a big break for me um so that's really how i got into speed. And then over the years, uh, the 40 has kind of become a thing that I don't pay as much attention to anymore because it just becomes so, um, you have people debate uh, from a place of nonsense because they don't consider the variables of what they're debating. And it ends up being, you know, the 40 is a funny thing, right? Like a kid goes to one camp one day, and run something two tenths faster than they've ever run before in their life but that time is going to be in their twitter profile until uh the internet crashes right you know i ran a four six yeah well there was a hurricane that day and um you only took four steps because you 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 know the winds carried you for the last 20 yards uh but no no no, that's what i run that's who i am um and that ends up being a pretty um fruitless discussion um So really what I've taken that from and gotten into now is cross-referencing body size with um, max velocity ability. Um, And really what I think about when I think about football players is I think about just the triangle of big, fast, and good. And I know that sounds uh, oversimplistic. Um, Strength is something that exists in the middle of the triangle. So uh, one thing I always ask people is, can a big, fast person be weak? And you could say no, you could say yes. What how you feel about the answer isn't really what I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to get to more the idea of if someone is big and fast, they likely have a certain type of strength that benefits them to be um, good at football. Um, because very, 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 very rarely do people come into our um, school and ask us about weightlifting numbers. They will ask how big are they, how tall are they, how old are they, and how fast are they. And so. Um, strength is a vehicle for um, injury prevention, for the ability to add mass, and it better be something that's going to help us be um, better movers, um, more uh, more explosive, and uh, if if everything's working in coordination, it's going to make us um, you know jump higher, jump further, run faster. Um, and so, when I think about the triangle, I think. We've all either played or played against a kid who was a nose tackle who weighed three hundred fifty pounds, who was not necessarily good at football was surely not fast, but his big was such a big part of his triangle that it made it hard for you to be good and fast, right because you could never get anything up the middle because this guy was unmovable uh we've all we've also played against a kid who was not necessarily good at football and was not big but and we see this with like like nine-year-old right you hand it to the fastest kid on the team and he just runs around the edge and nobody can catch him right so at that age that speed difference is the is the biggest thing and then we've also seen kids that are just uh they're not big they're not fast they're just really really good um and so when i think about kids i think about them in that that sense of that triangle and if a kid is is um if a kid is fast and good uh, let's think, uh, Slim Reaper, Devontae Smith. Right, the big question about him: it wasn't is he fast enough? He was clearly fast enough, and it wasn't is he good? He's clearly good enough. He's the best receiver in college football. Right, wins the Heisman Trophy. The big question there is: is he going to be big enough to sustain the type of hits um, that he's going to have to face when he gets to the NFL? So I always think about our kids in the sense of that triangle, and and how can we um, try to help them the most. Um, to improve their stock as a player, but also improve their ability to um, stay healthy. Awesome job, coach. That's really
0: detailed into like how get into speed training and like I love that cross reference of well, the first twenty yards, you know, you're basically looking at acceleration, and then that last twenty and the forty, you're looking at top speed, max velocity, um, and then you program from there. Does a the kid need to work on top speed? Do we need to work on acceleration? That's a really interesting um, way of programming. I, I to be honest with you, I never even thought about that, and I'm and I'm not ashamed of that. You know, we learn something new every day. Um, this is kind of going psychological more than anything else, and I just wanted to ask it because it popped in my head. Uh, you talk about that triangle with athletes: so good, fast, and big. Big. That that was the other one. So psychological wise, do you think there's like personality types that go into like different categories like if a kid is big and fast but they're not good they they fall in this category of like personality type
1: Ooh, i you know what that's actually making me think about something i haven't really thought about before um i will say this there's a lot of times where um you'll have yeah <laughs> Sorry, door just opened on me. Um uh you'll think of like uh we've had it where like a kid is like a big kid when he's at a young age, right like maybe made fun of, um, not appreciated, their athleticism not appreciated because they're just big. And as they get more athletic and older, they end up being um the type of people that end up being um, you know, dominant offensive and defensive linemen. Um, so I think sometimes those kids when they see their speed develop, they almost appreciate it more um, than a kid who's always been fast. Right. Um so in terms of developing speed in kids, yeah, I, you know, it's funny that you say that. It's it's sometimes those kids who start the slowest are the ones who you see the biggest improvement with, obviously because they have the biggest room for improvement. But also I think they um, you know, I always tell kids, it's like I'm trying to add something to your toolbox, right? Um, speed is like linear speed or linear speed and what it bleeds into, um, is just one tool in the box. Right. But if I can improve that tool, it's going to help me in, in all these other things. And, um, you know, it's funny that you mention I, every school I go to, and I will not mention names, but every school that I go to, I have, um, a kid who everybody thought was the fastest kid. And because they won a race when they were in third grade, right, and they were the fastest um, and it doesn't seem to hold up, right? And that kid I almost had to like make sure I pick that kid up and tell him, "Hey, listen, it was just one day we're gonna build this thing and uh, but it's like their whole world is shattered because of that now i I don't mean that in a negative sense, but I will say that it is important as a coach to actually know the data and not just go off of um, perceived notions of what you think is reality. Um, when we talk about speed development from our kids, like I will tell you, like our freshman group at Grayson is, it's a massive group and they are dominant. Like they are very, 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 very good. Um, but they are not the fastest kids in our program. They're not the biggest kids in our program. Right. And what I mean by that is some of them, like I, they're, they're all on the, you know, puberty marathon, right? who's going to get big and fast quick enough to be a, a, a starter as a sophomore versus a junior versus a senior. Right. Um, a lot of times there's massive speed jumps happening in young athletes that are not always noticed by coaches because they have this preconceived notion of that kid was slow. Right. And they don't think of it as a um, something that progresses over time. Um. So, like uh, specifically, like special teams. Um, I always look for kids who kind of fall in the crack, right? Or they're they're like a tweener. So they're not big enough to be a, a lineman, but they're not fast enough to be a skill person. But that may be the perfect person I need for this specific job. Um, let's say, like on the punt team, right? I need a, a body that's big enough to make the block, fast enough to cover, um, and good enough to make a tackle right on the end of that on the end of that coverage um and so yeah i think sometimes when you when you can find those kids they're from a psychological standpoint more they're more grateful than another kid um because you found you found their superpower right you found their their thing that makes them special um and i think that can go a long way to creating a, you know a, a culture where every kid feels um that they're going to be able to contribute um because they legitimately contribute to um, you know, positive things happen on Friday night.
0: Yeah, I, I think about those kids, especially, I think this falls under more skill players than anything else, where they're really good, they're really fast, uh, but they're not big. And they always relied on being good and being really fast, especially at the middle school, high school level. If you can outrun people and you're a decent athlete, you're going to have some success at the high school level. Um, compare that to someone like an offensive lineman. They're big, they may be good, but they're not fast. Um, and, you know, I've always been interested in that personality type between those two because, you know, I've, I've seen it with my own eyes at schools that I've been at. You know, there's that star receiver that thinks he's hot stuff just because he can run really fast, and he's pretty good. And, you know, there, there's talent there, but they always want to get the weight room compared to the D lineman who's not fast, but he's good and he's big and he, you know, he comes away from everything. I don't know. I just kind of thought about that. It's like that, that from a psychological standpoint, I, I see where you're taking this. Well, I was looking at like a behavioral standpoint, like none of the personalities. Um,
1: yeah. I don't know. I went down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I, I will say um we're very blessed at Grayson. Um If you are not a kid who, Uh, understands the importance of the weight room um there are a dozen kids behind you who do understand it and you'll get passed by pretty quickly so um i would say that the the competition within our team is a big part of our like our positive culture of of competitiveness um and really that's what makes where i'm at right now so special um and so the 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 weight room is a is a place of competition just like when we, we do speed training just like um you know it's one of those things, uh, you know, you hear somebody talk about like high level college football that are, your practices are. Um, your your practices are more competitive than some of your games, um, but that's definitely a reality for us um, at Grayson. Um, so being able to just provide those kids. Um, with some of those tools to make sure they're uh, ready for those moments is, is huge. I, I will also say this, like because that group has been so talented, right? This young group has been so talented. Um, trying to help them understand that there are gaps from where they're at to where they need to be, and that it's not just a um, it's not just an escalator, right? It just doesn't go by itself. You have to climb the stairs. You have to do the work. You have to get because um, it. I think a lot of kids. Like, if you ask a kid who's a very good athlete, when did you know you were a good athlete? A lot of them wouldn't be able to tell you that, right? They've just always been good. So, why would they not assume that that's going to continue? And uh, really, like, being able to show a kid on paper um, or show a kid through, um, like, some of the data tracking stuff that we do, we have like radar charts and we can show, like, okay, well, all the kids that got recruited. Um, from Grayson high school who signed a scholarship to play linebacker. This is what the prototype looks like, right? This is the average of all those kids. This is where you're at. And this is where you're deficient. And this is where we need to pour the most into you, but also where you need to focus most on so you can meet that because that's your dream as well. You want to go, um, you want to go sign a scholarship. You want to play at a high level. You want to, you know, if everything works out, go play professional football, um, and so being able to give a visualization um, and a path toward improvement in those things, I think, is a huge benefit for our athletes and something I try to provide.
0: Let me ask you this, and it also put, or kind of popped in my head as you're kind of speaking. How do you reach out to kids that don't want to play college football? Because that's something I have ran into right now, where kids want to play four years of football and then they want to go work or they want to go four years of football and then go trade school or something. How do you reach out to those kids? How do you you relate to those kids?
1: Well, I would have to to go back now because that that has definitely not been the case in the last couple of places I've been. Um, But I think, I I would say, I mean, everything I'm talking about here, we can put it through the lens of the next level, Um, but we can also flip that around and we can make it a, uh competition within the team right um every kid wants to be the fastest kid in their position group every kid wants to be the fastest kid we do like uh like weight classes where we do like a like a bracketed tournament for speed stuff and you know it's not that i'm the fastest kid on the team but i'm the fastest kid and like if i divide the team up into uh fifths uh i'm in this fifth of the team of size i'm the fastest kid i think those things are um I think those are all things that you can do within your team that are going to motivate your kids to to be competitive. And I think at the end of the day, uh, I think we want all of our kids to just be competitive, right? Um, I say this jokingly, but like, you know, you always hear like the, the cliche of like, well, you don't want to end up working at McDonald's. Like, I love McDonald's personally. And there's nothing worse for me than when I go to McDonald's and my order gets screwed up. So I want the person to have great attention to detail there. I want them to be the best, you know, be SpongeBob, right? Like take pride in every burger that you flip. Um, and so I think those competitive things and, and people, um, you know, taking, um, taking stock and, and finding value in their craft um, is, is something important to, to have. Like every single kid you're talking about, um, they all view themselves with a purpose in life. Right, Uh, if they want to go into the trades or they want to go into work for their family business, uh, how can you elevate your family business to a higher level? How can you be the best person in your area or your town? Um, Because there's very few avenues in life that you can go that, if you max out out its potential, it's not going to be something that's going to be fruitful for for you and for your family. So, um, I mean, at the end of the day, I think that's what that's what sports are. Um, I think sometimes at the school I'm at now, we we get lost in um, we get lost in getting the kids to the next level or winning the state championship, um, but in reality, it's, it's teaching those kids those life skills um, and just the value of um, competing and competing collaboratively with others for for a greater goal.
0: You're kind of subconsciously in, implanting those those skills that they need, and not just for sports, but for life as well. I mean, if they go to apply for a job, I mean, jobs are competitive nowadays. And, I mean, what sets them apart than Joe Schmo from down the road? I mean, what, what, what's going to give you the edge compared to someone else? Um, uh, I know you know as best as I do, that's, that's where sports comes in. It, it teaches you that sometimes life's not fair, but you got to continue on. And, you know, sometimes someone is better than you at a certain position. I, I had my fair share when I played off as a line. Um, and sometimes that, that position battle is not fair. And sometimes you know you get calls that um were not right, and you know they weren't right, but at the end of the day you move on um but yeah, I agree with you there you know sports really subconsciously really instills a lot of those values and skill sets that they need for um later off in life and and into adulthood as well yeah, absolutely. all right, let's go ahead and start wrapping things up here um let's go do conjugate coach spotlight so joe is there anyone out there that in strength condition that you want to highlight or to shout out
1: oh shoot um so many people have helped me over the years uh i would say that that our chapter here in georgia of our um, i gotta make sure i get the letters right uh, nhs uh, sca um our chapter here in georgia is one that's growing and and give a shout out to Ronnie who's done a great job, uh, Pete Tongren, who's, uh, I, I always forget whose title is what I believe Ronnie is the, maybe the Southeast rep and regional. uh, Yeah. Regional rep. And, um, Pete is over at Holy Innocence. Um, he does a great job with our, our state chapter and, um, you know, guys like Dan Mullins and uh, Stan Luttrell and, um, coach Mo up at Rome, you know, they, they just been phenomenal um, resources for me and the, like I said, I, I don't come from, um, I, I came back door into this profession. Um, and so everything I, I, I know I've, you know, big borrowed soul, um, so just having that group, I, I would also say, uh, down here in the Southeast United States, um, you know, I'm always welcome with open arms when I go over to South Carolina. Um, and I was over there at, at coach cash's place last week for their, uh, clinic and, um, you know, the coaches in South Carolina, the coaches in Alabama, um, Coach Herschel, um, uh, Coach Herring, all those guys, um, Cody Hughes, right? Uh, just people that have helped me a ton along the way, and, and I would not be where I'm at if it wasn't for their support and their guidance.
0: Remarkable, Coach. Uh, well, thank you for taking the time uh, to sit down and do this episode. It, I mean, it was an awesome conversation. I've always... I uh, admire you from afar, man, on social media. you I know, appreciate what you do for uh, the profession of straight condition, man.
1: Hey, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, the content you put out is tremendous. and um, I'll be honest, I've had, a, I've had a lot of fun watching your journey um, through passing the CSCS and trying to find jobs and figuring out certifications. I think uh, you being, um, I don't know if that's the right word to use here, but vulnerable and, and willing to share your story, um, has been, I I, should, has been helpful to me. I can only imagine how helpful it's been to to other coaches who were in the same, the same step of their journey.
0: I appreciate it. I I mean, vulnerable may be a word, but I like to use transparent as well. Um, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm me and I'm not gonna, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. If something sucks, I'm going to tell you that sucks. But at the same time, like I'm not, Afraid to fail either. I'm not afraid to. I, I know on social media we want to see all the good stuff, um, but also I think it's important to understand that there's failure as well. Um, you know, before passing that one test of the CSCS was six other attempts. And then, I mean, people like you and others have kind of saw that progress along the way. And I, I hope that it inspired somebody to either keep going or, you know, something um you know get some kind of value out of that even even if you know at the end result you get what you want which is obviously whatever you know what that is um football you know state championship conference champs whatever um but i, I guess it, a big scale looking or broad looking in um just i, I hope that inspires somebody to to work harder or just uh, just uh, have a little chip on their shoulder and keep on going ma'am. absolutely
1: well hey if you ever find yourself down in atlanta um we'd love to have you stop by and, and visit um but yeah no i appreciate it for the opportunity today
0: yeah absolutely ma'am. and that's another episode of the conjugate chats please follow our social medias at conjugate chats podcast on twitter and tiktok also follow coach joe on his social medias as well in the name of strength stay strong and have a day today